This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melon Law Studio. Uh, Melon Law, 50 years of experience, and uh, they're the only first official law firm partner of the University of Florida. They will not back down. Crime prevention protects us, uh, cpss.net, 24 365. Our good buddies, John Pastore and Randy Elrad, take good care of us. Uh, you may contact them for all sorts of crime prevention needs. And, of course, we have our mugshots, Maurice T. McDaniel. You'll see uh, the latest people who've made this so-called parade of stars here in the criminal world. Well, it's um, getting close to the weekend, and I've got to keep bringing you updates uh, on what's happened with uh, the uh, – see what all I've printed off here. I can't keep track. You know, I'm kind of a one-man band here. I'm the, I got my, uh, my good buddies here in the production, but – other than that, I select all the news material. I brief all the stuff uh, for better or worse. And um, there's a, well, it's just an ongoing story here. It's the biggest mystery really in our community. Uh, and that is um, the Ballsart Brotos Riles case has yet another new development. And um, bring it to you right now. It's finally creaking its way, way toward another level of, how shall we say this? Um, justice might not be the right word because there's been so many legal shenanigans, as I've said here today. That's the title of the show, Legal Shenanigans, because the defense for Bossart has been Practicing what lawyers do when they feel they can't get their client out of the corner is they uh, begin to drag their feet or they begin to file motions or they begin to uh, see if any mud they sling on the wall can possibly stick. And um, it just hasn't been the case. It's it's I'm going to review a couple of things here with you uh, that uh, might bring your your mind into sharper focus here. Um, if you recall, uh, there was a, uh, oh my golly, there's two or three lawsuits going on. One is defamation, uh, one is criminal um, depositions you have to be taken in the criminal. They want, I understand that they want that sealed. And, um, you know, I don't know if they're going to get it sealed. It's a attempt to the people who want it sealed suggest there's something to hide and and um, all the above. It's just it just creaks on. But I think the inevitable result is going to be um, pretty damaging for the boss hearts and their whole organization. And the damage, unfortunately, 
is that um, there'll be about there's about a hundred people who work for them that could be caught in this fallout. Now, the thing that uh, was done that we reported on that was pretty heavy was that the arbitrator ruled uh, that uh, the um, um, Lost Hearts needed to pay up about a million and a half in damages, and defamations, and all these things that occurred as a result of re them really running up the tab and, and um, making this uh, something it should never have become. It started out just simply an argument over commissions. And as time rolled on and rolled on, uh, that became... Oh, dirtier and muddier, if you will, depending upon what language you want to use. So the judge, in this case, it's Judge Kime, has um, reviewed the arbitration award that we talked about with you. Um, that awarded this almost $1.5 to Drotos and Riles. And now has found it to be sound and valid and therefore has issued a court order that uh, it shall be paid. Now, um, this is phrased in such a way that it says the defendant's motion, which is the boss arts, to vacate the arbitration award. In other words, it's another tactic. The arbitrator, and we, we talked with you about how well written that arbitration was. And when you see clear writing and you have clear thinking, um, how clear it was. So naturally, Moss Hart's attorneys try to throw another dart in the dartboard and say, well, let's vacate it. And we're going to show you some things that we've never shown you that the arbitrator didn't see. And therefore, it needs to be vacated. And so they come up with, say, in this case, they, I think the argument was we found some more emails the arbitrator didn't see. This, that, one, another which the judge really saw through and concluded that was just a delaying tactic and has so ordered, and we posted this on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. Um, and I'll give you a summation of this because you're going to get the most thorough analysis of this on this show. And this is a big mystery in this community and it involves a, an organization that um, really, really was kind of a, a benchmark around here for realtors for quite a while. I think those days are over. But to refresh you, the arbitrator found in favor of the plaintiffs uh, on their breach of contract. This all started out uh, with an argument over real estate commissions for deals that were closing after they had terminated their independent contractor relationship with defendant. That's really what it started with. Uh, okay, you and I work for Boss Hart, but you and I decide we want to go with another company. But we've got, which we should be able to do. Um, after all, we're not owned by Boss Art. In fact, we make Boss Art what Boss Art is by bringing so much business to them, one can say. Um, and they have recognized this by giving us a pretty good share of the commissions because uh, as we bring business to them, they do well. And they recognize that by giving us a, a larger than tradition commission. But when we got ready to go, we still had deals that were not finished. So we wanted those commissions. And that's where that got nasty. No, you're leaving. We're not going to give you those commissions. 
Well, those commissions were already in the pipeline, so to speak. Um, and the arbitrator, an independent person, an independent uh, 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 part of the court, uh, found that uh, the boss arts uh, could not claim that the uh, Riles Drotos had breached the contract uh, by leaving and therefore weren't entitled to the commissions. They hadn't breached any contract. They decided to go with another company. So uh, this was uh, uh, confirmed by in favor of the plaintiffs, by the arbitrator. And of course, the boss art attorney wants to challenge that and uh, come up with um, uh, an attempt to have that vacated. And we start all over again. They're really trying to get out of that final award. And they say that their reason was, oh, well, we, we found six emails which were improperly withheld by the plaintiffs. So what they claimed, Boss Hart, as I read this correctly, is that we found some emails that were generated while Riles and Drotos worked for us uh, that they never reported that would have changed the arbitrator's opinion. And uh, uh, therefore, we want this vacated. And you take a look at these six emails, which was an attempt, of course, the judge recognized to simply uh, put a cog in the wheel of that which had already been justly concluded. Um, so um, the, uh, the, that was a rule to be uh, really enough relevant and uh, uh, not necessarily responsible behavior, basically, is what you're saying to them by trying to throw a monkey in the wrench here in a court proceeding that's already taken place that even if these six me emails were so, they wouldn't change anything. So uh, this motion to vacate was denied. Uh, meanwhile, one of the tactics that Ballstart apparently has used is to inundate the court, inundate the state attorney's office with thousands of pages of files that they don't bother to print out. They basically give them on hard drives, and then you're supposed to figure out what they think Ballstarts are the uh, issues in, uh, in question, and rather than them do it. And this has been observed by yours truly in Judge Kolos, and I've reported on that. So uh, this is uh, uh, been examined by the judge again, this time uh, Judge Kime, and analyzed this motion to vacate and um, denied the defendant's argument that the arbitration award was obtained through some sort of beep, or undue means because uh, there were some materials that weren't concluded uh, that the arbitrator would have changed, would have changed the arbitrator's mind had the arbitrator seen them. Uh, that uh, was not satisfied in any way, shape or form. Uh, this judge says uh, by the defendant's uh, 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 proposition that that was so. And in this case, the judge says the defendant failed to satisfy uh, any prong of a test that's been set forth in Regaladado, which is a, pre a precedent. Uh, the defendant did not establish by clear and convincing evidence that the plaintiffs withheld any evidence that would have changed the arbitrator's mind. So, and, and, and then the judge says, and it's very well written, by the way, you know, as a, as, a, as a teacher of writing, I can tell you that when the writing is clear, the thinking is clear. When the writing is not clear, the thinking is not clear. And it's very easy to test yourself on this. Let's say you're going to go to the uh, grocery store and you want to make out a list of what you want. Well, when you make out a list of what you want, it's clearly written because what you want is clearly written. 
And if the list is not well-written or something's not on the list or this, that one, another, then you're thinking about that, what you wanted to get. The story is not clear either. It's very, very, very simple. Very simple. So uh, uh, the court further ruled that even if the plaintiffs did withhold evidence, the defendant just can't hurl a charge and fail to demonstrate uh, that uh, these emails were not discoverable by due diligence during the arbitration hearing. So this is a really interesting point that the judge catches. You can't make an insult or make a challenge without evidence to sustain the challenge. And therefore, since you didn't, you made the, you made the, 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 the accusation, but you didn't support it with any evidence. So the court's not going to rule on it. Well, obviously, in your favor, and obviously what's going on there is a lawyer tactic, and that is make the accusation and see if the court is smart enough to realize that you can't back it up. You know, I guess there are some courts that could do that. There may be some judges that would do that because we know that these courts have been politicized in many sense, but not this one. Uh, not this one, that's for sure. So that is caught right away by this judge. Um, the, uh, the defendant's inability to obtain documents, uh, the, de the delays in even bringing up that the documents existed, really in layman's terms, doesn't pass the uh, smell test. Oh, that's not a legal term used in the document, but that's my paraphrase of it. Um, these these, these um, tactics were uh, sniffed out by the court and recognized as um, just trying to delay the inevitable, which is the affirmation that you owe on this defamation suit, uh, about 1.5 million to Riles and Rotos. And it's my understanding that Riles and Rotos have already hired collection agencies to get this money. So the summation of this argument, uh, the court finds is the defendant who is uh, 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 boss Hart did not offer any evidence of its uh, uh, inability to obtain information that uh, from its own data bank um, that would have uh, changed the arbitration finding um, as, as repeatedly failed to demonstrate that this evidence was related even to the arbitration. So what's happened is a delaying tactic by the attorney for boss Hart is let's make an accusation and see if the judge catches it is basically what's happened. Well, the judge caught it and denied it because there's no evidence the accusation is valid. So you can't make an accusation without something to back it up. So the court concluded that this award, um, um, you know, is valid. And, and that's the way it stands because you didn't provide um and the court, the way this is stated is that the court cannot conclude that this award that the arbitrator gave was procured by corruption, beep, or other undue means. You see, this is really the crux of good, uh, of a good judge. The good judge can see the flaws in the writing and the flaws in the writing are the flaws in the thinking. And the flaws in the thinking are the flaws in the logic which is based and derived from primarily a premise of evidence. Well, it's not here. The accusation is the conclusion is in the accusation, but not the evidence that led to the conclusion by the, uh, the uh, Osar team. 
and then and the judge catches it right away. So uh, that is is a very important uh, kind of put down of the boss hard argument. Uh, they have had the door slammed on them here, and I'm I, I am sure I, I I am sure that there'll be more defamation suits to follow. Uh, I don't know how far out they could go, the ripples in the pond, but there are about 100 agents that work for Boss Hart. Aren't their reputations also be smirched now by the fact that they work for an organization that is, in some people's minds, now publicly demonstrated to be corrupt? Uh, I mean, this is all through these documents that these lawyers have been presenting and, it's, and the lawyers reaching their conclusion on this evidence. Um, so um, this is this is the, they, the, the, the judge has ruled who was asked to review, of course, uh, the arbitrator, that all this all their discovery, the arbitrator uh, based in this case, her uh, opinion on was uh, uh, was reasonable and responsive to discovery. So the defendant, which is uh, Boss Hart at all. They failed to establish that the arbitrator um, messed up in any way. And you can go into the legal this, the language of it. We posted this on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board for you to take a look at. Um, it, it, it's really so that it's to sum up, the defendant has failed to establish any evidence to support its assertion that the arbitrator failed to consider evidence. That, that really is, that basically is what law, that's what thinking is about. Thinking is about, do you reach your conclusion through a logical chain of tests that you go through and can you get there from where you started and can we follow you where you end? Can we follow that roadmap? Have you laid it out for us? If you put any dead ends in there or any, uh, deceptive turns or confusions, maybe we can't figure it out, but the court should be able to figure it out. And there are good judges and there are bad judges, of course, like everything else, but good judges really, you cannot buffalo. You cannot fool them. They come dispassionately, objectively. They're well-trained. They think clearly and they examine on the basis of what you give them to work from. And then above all, they write clearly. The same goes for good attorneys. Good attorneys write clearly. Even with this mumble jumble, some people don't understand of the, of the Latin world and the precedents and all that, still the narrative is logical. It has transitions, the points, you know, in a good sentence, okay, let me just give you a little rhetorical instruction here. In a good sentence, you cannot interchange the order of any of the words. Hemingway had a standard. You cannot remove one word from my sentences without the sentence losing its meaning. Every word in a sentence written by Hemingway has a function. And that word is the best word to perform that function. And then he even set another standard for himself that that word would be very simple in syllables and concepts. There wouldn't be multi-syllabic words. There wouldn't be long words. The, I'll give you an example. The door to Henry's lunchroom opened 
and two men walked in. That is the beginning of his great short story, The Killers. Now, it is a compound sentence made up of two simple sentences. The door to Henry's lunchroom opened. Okay. That's one sentence. And two men walked in. That's another sentence. Hemingway had a rule. I'm not going to write a sentence more than 18 words long. I'm going to generally keep them down to 12. They sat down at the counter. You follow this? This is a declarative sentence with a simple past tense verb, opened and sat. This is the standard that Hemingway put on himself. He wanted the brevity because he knew brevity was the, so was the source of clarity. So as one who's read millions and millions of words by all sorts of writers, the best and, of course, the worst. I have a built-in assessment scale of good writing. I mean, I, I, you know, people ask me how I can read so quickly. When you've read millions and millions and millions of sentences, I can almost take a photo of a paragraph and tell you what the individual words are in the paragraph and where they come and whether they, they're suitable for where they are. So that's just something you develop from. It's like reading x-rays if you're a radiologist. I mean, it's just, a, it's just something you do and you do and you do and you do. So I remember an old man who came out here and worked on my Ford tractor, my 1976 Ford tractor. He didn't have any kind of manual. He didn't, he just reached in there and he couldn't see what he was grabbing a hold of. There were all the wires that were leading to my control console and he got them all back into order without even being able to see them. It's just a second or two. And why? Because he'd done that for 30 or 40 years on tractors. It would have taken me years to do it if I ever could have done it. And it would have taken him a considerable amount of time to teach me to do it because you have to have so many trial and errors situation. So I've written millions of words myself. I've spoken millions of words myself. I stand by all the words. And obviously, you know, you can review them and decide whether they're effective or not. But this is the way it works. Um, the judge in this case found that the defendant failed to establish that the arbitrator had exceeded her powers in deciding this issue. You know, the arbitrator, as I said before to you, when I went through that work, was wrote a very clear document. Now, this judge has written a very clear document. There's only one thing left for the boss art argument to do, and that is to appeal and appeal and appeal. And the purpose of that would be to delay, to delay, to delay, because this is going to be costly. It's going to be costly to the boss arts in the end, the way it looks. And there are many, many people who have been damaged by this, which started out as an argument over commissions and rippled out to affect many, many. The worst scenario in this whole thing, and this is the ultimate mystery. This is the deal that really we're going to bore in on. How did that, who all is responsible for that SWAT team arriving? Because if that SWAT team had never arrived, and strong-armed evidence, it's the parallels between that 
and the raid on Trump's home in Palm Beach are incredibly interesting. Uh, why the heavy handedness? What is going? Who stacked the deck? Uh, who? I mean, somebody in here stacked the deck. It looks and the lawyers are, are, are finding it. And, and uh, this is going to be when this denouement, this is what we call the denouement in fiction. Some people call it the climax, but the denouement is the moment of discovery. Fiction is structured out of conflict, complication, moving towards resolution. And before something can be resolved, that doesn't mean solved. It means resolved. There has to be a denouement, a sudden sort of moment of epiphany when it all becomes clear. And it doesn't have to be a happy ending. It just resolves the tension that was created in the beginning. The tension in this started out really rather minutely, an argument over commissions. This could conceivably take place in real estate offices all over the country. How much am I owed? Did I get what I was owed? And it, it happens between the broker and the salespeople. It's not an unusual event, but the way in which this one grew is unusual. The mystery in this is why did an argument over commissions grow into a SWAT team arrest of innocent people? There you go. That is the storyline. Now, we're waiting to see how this is resolved. And there are subplots all over the place in this. This little subplot here for this particular part has a 1.4 million or something like that resolution to it but it's not the whole story it's not all this all the uh, lawsuits so the defendant has been uh, has been found by the court uh, uh, the defendant has not carried its burden for this court to vacate modify or otherwise correct the arbitration award this judge said that arbitration award was exactly on the money. And if you wanted to change it or challenge it, you didn't provide me, Mr. Challenger, with anything that stood a test of objective examination to challenge it. So you are rejected, Mr. Bossard attorney, and it is confirmed now. And now this is a, a court order and they better Listen, now that it's ordered, if they don't pay right away, there's interest accruing. There's interest accruing. So the, the award is not going to get smaller. It's going to get bigger. And this is just one of the lawsuits. So the defendant's motion to vacate arbitration award or an alternative modify and correct the award is denied. The plaintiff's motion to confirm the arbitration award is granted. The court reserves jurisdiction to enter final judgment in conformity with this order pursuant to 682.14 of the Florida statutes. Here's the kicker, as well as to determine attorney's fees and costs. Done and ordered in Gainesville, Tuesday, August 16th. This is two days later. We're bringing it to you hot off the press.
This is Donna Kime, circuit judge at the Eighth Circuit. There you are, my friends. There you are, my friends. Yet one more, if you will, log on the fire. Uh, the fire is not going to go out anytime soon because there's a lot more. I think the smartest thing this state attorney could do, but it's not going to clear up any of the lawsuits, is to drop the criminal side of this case. Um, but, you know, who knows if my former student will listen to me. Um, I think that I mean, it might, you know, I, 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 if you proceed, you proceed, you run some risk yourself. Because this evidence is piling up as um, not holding the test of objective analysis. So we've posted all these documents out there for you. Um, uh, and you can examine them. We know how many times they are looked at because we have a little hit meter out there. And so it's interesting. Now, you might remember now that uh, filed uh, just a few days ago was a victim's motion to seal transcripts. And that is the uh, deposition of its boss art. And the big one everybody's looking at, of course, because he is a public official. He is a public official. He's also the CFO, as I understand it, of boss art. He's also been known to appear at the school board raucous meetings supporting Carly Simon, who has property, as I understand, next to this gentleman's and there's some kind of relationship there in the real estate world. Uh, and yet uh, this gentleman's deposition is to be sealed. Ken Cornell, it had, believe me, that has raised all sorts of questions and it's only going to bring more scrutiny. It's kind of like if you didn't want Trump to be looked at for president, in 2024, you should never have raided his house because by raiding his house, you've now put him back in the spotlight. Um, if you didn't want to subject Ken Cornell to scrutiny, you shouldn't probably have asked the court to seal his deposition because now he is going to be scrutinized. And that's going to be an interesting Another installment on this story. I feel like I'm reading a Charles Dickens novel. You know, Charles Dickens wrote his novels on installments for London magazines, which is really very interesting. He'd write a chapter or so and it would come out in the magazine and you'd see at the end of it to be continued. That was those are the great days. Man, I think that was really good. You want to sell a magazine, get that, get a really great writer and get them on commission and let them keep your reader's interest. And then uh, he'd write the next chapter, next chapter. Uh, that was kind of what this is. Um, every time uh, there's a new development in this, I bring it to you. And it's kind of interesting. I don't know the ending to this. I don't know how this will be resolved. You see, after a denouement, there's a resolution, not a solution, but a resolution. There will never be a happy ending to this because my I, I, projections of most people is that the boss arts are going to be ruined by this. That's what I keep hearing. And you can write your own ending to this story based upon what you have now and what you see unfolding through the courts. Um, so there will never be, if you will, a solution. It started out as just a little tiny argument, didn't it? 
This is another fascinating thing about this as drama. Uh, a little argument over commissions explodes into this huge mystery of the community. Like, who are the players? How did Pinkston, how did Toronto, how did Kramer, Kim Bosshart, all these people get together and in the eyes of many people in the community, gang up on Grotos and Riles for simply wanting to go to another company and get what they were owed from the company they'd worked for. That, that at the core, at the very center of all this is the, is the mystery. It's a mystery. Why in the world? Who sustains the complication? In narrative, there has to be complication. Now, what complicated this? Boy, that is really interesting. What do, are there any social ties? Are there any social ties between Kramer and Bossart? Huh? Any community relations there that could have influenced the way in which this narrative was written? I've been asked that question. That's all part of the mystery that's going to maybe never be known. You know, these people go back to little kids together. What's that got to do? Did that complicate the objectivity of this? Did the ineptness, what some people view as just absolute total ineptness of Gainesville Police Department in this have anything to do with it? See, that's all the complicating factor. The really great, great stories are extremely complicated. And, and you know, that's how you judge a great work. War and Peace by Tolstoy is extremely complicated. It's a big, big book. And you better bring all you got to it if you're going to read it and understand. And you better wait till you're about 45 or 50 years old to read it. Because when you're a kid, you won't appreciate all the complications of that society in tremendous flux. Passing from agrarianism straight into communism. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. That's the big enveloping action of it. But the individual families and the gains and losses uh that makes up the complication of characters' lives, individual people. You see, you got to remember, people are affected by this. In the great stories, the stories are not about ideas. They're about people, people who are hurt by something or who have something to gain. And all people are flawed. We're all flawed. The best we can do is know what that flaw is and learn how to deal with it. It's like an alcoholic. An alcoholic can't have a drink because one drink and bam, it's over. Each eye is going counterclockwise to the other. So the alcoholic realizes for whatever reason, genetically or emotionally or whatever, it can't handle alcohol. It recognized its flaw. And the good ones don't ever get near that flaw because it's so destructive. Instead of gobbling down a fifth, they gobble down a gallon of coffee. That, you know, that's the way it works. And that's, that's, that's the way it works in human beings. It's called by Aristotle the tragic flaw. Each of us has one. And it's also very carefully, but it's balanced properly, our strength. It, it, that's, that's the really strange thing about it. The Greeks had it figured out. That which is your weakness is also your strength. If it's in proportion, if it's in balance, if the yin and the yang 
And you know, you get into a lot of Oriental philosophy here too, of Asian philosophy, Confucius. It all is studied by the great philosophers. So we'll be back on a moment of the Word Scott Files. I always like to bring to you a little of the advantage I have as a talk show host about classical education and classical literature, a tremendously sharp mind still from intellectual training that I have made myself live up to at the highest standard. Be right back on the Word Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com. And click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Thank you to all the uh, sponsors and all the uh, donators. We have some people who donate for us. And I try to send you a card now and then. Most of you know who you are and how much I appreciate you. And you help us um, do a lot of things we're working on. We're working on, uh, of course, uh, partnering uh, uh, one day a week with Ted Yoho and maybe branching out into another platform we're working on. We don't know how that's going to work, but maybe over to Parler along with this one. Um, and just to keep the word going forth that, um, that um, we, we really need to um, learn how to think clearly and um, evaluate and stick to 
be confident about what we believe and get the right information. That's what this show is about. Um, there's so many people who reach conclusions almost on no information is valid at all. If they get their ideas from the uh, public media, it's generally corrupt from the beginning. So I hate to say that, but it's really been corrupt ever since I've traced it back to the Vietnam War when it was promoted by the liberal uh, uh, reporters that we had lost the war when actually we were winning it. And they began to focus on all the uh, violence that accompanies war and then to create this story about us being uh, a nasty nation and all that. I don't know of any human being who is immune from the killer instinct. Uh, some people have the killer instinct uh, maybe put away in a corner of the room a little more uh, less accessible than others, but everyone has it. And even the little old lady in the football stadium who hollers, kill her, kill him, kill him. And I've seen that happen. I've sat behind uh, very civilized uh, people. And all of a sudden there's a tackle on the field and the little old mild mannered lady uh, blurts out, kill him. Um, so we all, we're all human beings. We're all part of the human condition. Um, uh, and the weather is uh, kind of really going through a transition right now. We're doing our weather with Lewis Oil being a great sponsor for us. Um, we've got, um, depending upon you, where you are, rain. But it is cooling down a little bit. Um, there's some really weird things going on with the weather. And I want to focus a little bit on the drought right now. As more human being remains are being discovered in Lake Mead, God knows what Lake Mead was the end result. We might find Jimmy Hoffa in there. I don't know. Who in the world knows? But uh, uh, in Austin, Texas, and I'm kind of sensitive to this because, of course, you know, Windy Hill Farm is about cattle. The drought is echoing through the beef supply chains, and it's going to be resulting in higher prices for consumers for the next couple of years. And it probably very likely could be the death knell for the many small family-run cattle herds that re represent a really key part of the industry. I'm kind of in that niche. I'm a small family-run cattle herd, but I'm nevertheless in the cattle industry. I supply, you know, part of that, which you might experience at Outback or wherever. Uh, um, and then, you know, we're into taking the calves to market and rotating our herd and keeping our genetics uh, sound and solid. But we have to have water. And uh, if we don't have water, then we don't have cattle. And out west, right now, they're having a lack of water in general. And it's really threatening. And you'll begin to see it. You've already seen it in the price of meat. Uh, cattle drink a lot of water, in case you haven't wondered. Um, but out, uh, even the very strongest of them, them soon will struggle. And so uh, there's a big uh, uh, concern there as the herds are shrinking out in the west because of declining rains. More than 80% of the West is in a severe drought this year, um, up from 20% last year. This is according to the U.S. Farm Bureau survey. Um, I could go through some of these numbers with you, but uh, these are, uh, cattle business is a complex situation, uh, but it's a substantial global contributor um, to food chain. And then of course, the environmentalists will have you believe it's also a substantial contributor to climate change. I, I just don't know when we have ever reached a, a, plane, a place in human history when we've got people arguing against food and because it changes the climate. I, I just, you know, um, 
so they say you, you, you've seen a lot of things happen here that should never have happened. We've had fertilizer costs go up. We've had fertilizer cursed. We've had cow flagellation cursed. Uh, and, and meanwhile, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's affecting the, the cattle industry. Um, this is the, the, the meatpacking world. About 20% of 7% of all cattle sold in America come from herds of uh, fewer than 50 run by people who use them as part of a diversified family income stream. That includes other crops. Uh, we run about 20 here and uh, uh, we have had timber. Uh, so we kind of mix the two timber and the cattle. But, but um, these we're, we're what's called small producers and we're a very important part of the system of beef production. And uh, we are fortunate right now that we've got some rain. We did not have any rain, if you recall, about a month ago, and we were really beginning to get concerned. Um, this affects the growth of hay, and um, um, the cattle market, therefore, is affected by it. So I always like to bring you the weather from a little different point of view than just the weather. Um, there's a new heat wave that is um, roasting the northwest right now, and um, uh, we've got a little bit of relief from the heat wave here. Uh, so um, maybe we're moving into some climate change, but we really, really, uh, I mean, particular climate change, not just the ideological climate change, but we really hope that we're hanging on to to uh, some rain. And of course, we're blessed. I'm not going to use this word in a negative way with the great rains that are brought by the hurricanes. If we don't have the wind damage, then we're OK. And that rain really helps replenish the aquifer. Well, I've been talking about uh, um, uh, this prosecutorial situation here uh, locally with uh, our mystery saga being written um, by, uh, who knows, maybe one of these days I'll write, a, write about all this in a, in, a, in a narrative. Got enough information. You know, in writing, when you write something, you need nine times as much information as you will use in the narrative. Uh, that, that, that helps you pick the most important detail in the narrative. And uh, that detail will represent all the other de details. You know, uh, I'm very fond of William Carlos and William's poem. Um, um, so much depends upon uh, the red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. And that's the poem. So much depends upon uh, the red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. And uh, the reason I'm so impressed by that is because of its uh, um, um, sparsity and because of its uh, uh, numbers of words, which are very few. But the most important word in there, and it, this is a challenge to the students because they don't know how to think about this, is the word glazed. Um, and they don't, this misses them completely. Uh, see, we have a person looking at a wheelbarrow and that person has been, had a sudden shock of realization. He's obviously in a in a farmyard of some kind, because uh, there are chickens, and there's a wheelbarrow, and that wheelbarrow obviously is used to, if you have a wheelbarrow, you know that uh, many things are useful for that in a farm setting. And this person is obviously standing there, and what has just happened is it's rained. And because of this rain is so much, uh, has affected the observers so much, implies that it has been absent for a long, long time. And suddenly, the, the narrator, a more conventional uh, pedestrian way to say it was, golly, I'm glad it rained. 
Well, that's not poetry. Golly, I'm glad it rained. It's basically the same thing. So much depends upon the red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. All of a sudden, he looked at that wheelbarrow, and it's got, it's got rain on it. It's just rained. And man, man, if it had not rained, there wouldn't be eventually any chickens. And eventually there wouldn't be any barnyard. And eventually there wouldn't be any people. You follow the logic of this? That's why it's so brilliant. Wow, is it brilliant? I mean, I could have said it. By golly, I'm really glad it rained. Well, who in the world would ever remember that? It's not a challenge. You don't have to think about it. But so much depends upon the red wheelbarrow grazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. You got to think. And you got to realize. And you got to be shocked when you realize. That's what makes it great when you're shocked by what you realize. But, you know, so I'm still waiting to see how not only the story of the, the SWAT team here in this community, but this never ending pursuit of Trump turns out. We've got a national mystery that the dadgum Democrats just dump more fuel on. So if they were trying, and this is all, this is very well done. This is, you know, this is, I'm going to uh, reference this. This is uh, very well done by, let's see who my man is here is looking at this and writing about it. I think it's Daniel Henninger. He's one of the sharper guys. Yes, Henninger. He's one of the sharper minds in the country. And he says, if you were trying to kill the Trump presidency, you just reinvigorated it. Uh, because we know, and people, here's the thing. People champion the underdog. That's a part of human nature. Okay? People champion the underdog. People don't like bullies. I, mean, I was always in fights in schools because if I found some guy bullying some kid, I wouldn't beat the hell out of that bully. If I could, I did it several times. I found a kid hit a swinging a stick at my brother one day when we were walking. I was walking home, and he had my brother trapped in an alley. I went over and cold cocked that kid, you know, with great relish. I mean, come on. You're not going to do that to people without consequence. So if you want to, to uh, be a bully, then you're going to find that people are going to come after you. And right now, this Trump presidency, people are beginning to feel is being bullied. The first Trump presidency began with the never-ending Russian collusion narrative, did it not? And now they weren't able to knock him out in the alley with that one. So now they're coming after this classified documents narrative. And the whole insinuation of all this stuff, according to Henninger, is that Trump did something awful. And the whole insinuation in the Drotos-Riles thing is that Drotos and Riles did something awful. I can't find what they did awful. And I've been studying a doggone thing. But on the other hand, I'm beginning to see things that the accusers did. It's awful. Do you see the parallels? I mean, it is incredible how much they parallel each other. The daily insinuation that Trump did something awful. The daily insinuation here locally that Drotos and Riles did something awful. What? And then you start looking at what they had to do to make that insinuation. And then you start looking over your shoulder at what the FBI and the Department of Justice and the CIA and the newspapers had to do to make that insinuation against Trump. 
And you say, wow. Wow, isn't that interesting? Isn't that really interesting? Um, they're trying really at the bottom of this to get, put some teeth in the, in the January 6th so-called, well, inspection. Well, we know what the people feel about that out in Wyoming. They just kicked that woman who's running it, that rhino, out of office and told her to get lost. You know, I've been thinking about this. This goes, what Trump did is he shook up the power structure of not only the deep state, but the Republican Party, which you have to assume, therefore, was a part of the deep state. Who was more angry? Can you remember this about Trump being president than Jeb Bush? Do you remember that? Man, he went over the top. He even had his mouthpieces up there, Stepanovich and these people, really blasting Trump. You know, I look back on it. Wow. It is an attack on the deep state, is it not? And then where's Cheney come from? She comes. She's the daughter of the vice president of the second Bush. Well, somebody's been feeding her head full of stuff. But see, the people have not bought into it. The people kicked her out. So we have this. This is another novel that's being written. We've got the local novel of who sent the, uh, the SWAT team. And we got the big novel of the nation is who, swent, who sent the FBI swarming into Mar-a-Lago after all the other crap that's been tried. So uh, there we have it. This investigation, furthermore, of Trump, as well as this thing for Bossart, could run for months. I mean, months. Well, most are maybe even years because they'll, you know, somebody's going to have to, you know, pay the piper for it. So, so it could run for months. And what's the purpose of the Trump thing running for months? Two guesses and the first two don't count. Okay. To try to besmirch Trump and to keep him from being uh, a candidate for president. I'm not going to argue for or against him. I'm just saying this is the logic. And what it's doing, it is making him more resilient, not less. You know, Don Pierce, as you know, was a very good friend of mine. Don Pierce wrote Cool Hand Luke, did the time, wrote the movie, was in the movie, nominated for Academy Award, the whole nine yards, real good buddy of mine. Uh, we spent a lot of time together. He was a genius. I mean, you know, you measure his IQ, it was off the charts. And he told me one time, I'm going to go ahead and say it, even though it's a family show. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Ward, I got brass balls. The harder you kick them, the shinier they get. Well, that sums up, really, does it not, Trump? The harder he, you kick him, the more resilient he gets. They, they don't seem to get this message. Meanwhile, here's the problem, according to Hendra, and I agree with him, and you make up your mind about this, whether or not you agree with him. United States of America is on edge. It's on edge like I've never seen it in my lifetime. I, want, I go back to segregation, integration. I go back to Korea, um, the end of the war, you know, you name it. I've seen a lot. I mean, it was on edge during the Vietnam War. I'm looking back on it, primarily fueled by the media. 
But according to a Fox News poll, no, at no recent time has the United States population been more divided or more depressed. The Fox News poll reported that 75% of the nation's voters are dissatisfied with the country's direction. 91% of the independent voters are dissatisfied with the country's direction. And if they prolong, as obviously Pelosi and her crew plan to do, another Trump investigation like the Mueller one and the fat Jerry Nadler one and pencil neck Adam Schiff, then it is going to create what sort of country do you think? The Homeland Security Department, of course, I've been hearing this for quite a while. The Homeland Security Department reported they have been picking up more and more social media chatter about, quote unquote, civil war. I've been talking about this for a long, long time. Metal barricades, we got them in the background of my uh, image here, have been erected around the FBI quarters head now in, in, D, in D.C. That's just down the street from the Supreme Court. It's got a fence around it. You, you be, you, you be the, you be the prognosticator, huh? You figure out what all this means. Already, uh, um, uh, the voters distrust its institutions. Uh, we've mentioned that are supposed to be institutions of trust. Uh, the FBI, these kind of things, nobody trusts them. Even the guys that work for them don't trust them. Um, it is, it is, a, it is a, it is a, but it is a complication that's fueled by this limitless chatter about race, which we don't seem to be able to put behind us because the race uh, hustlers use it to promote uh, disorder that they hope, therefore, to capitalize on. Uh, that's the way it is, my friends. And I just wanted to bring you this uh, opinion. This is all opining today uh, based upon documents, which I've sourced uh, for you there who are listening to the Ward Scott Files. So uh, we uh, appreciate you tuning in and uh, we appreciate you um, supporting and go out and do the right thing with your heart and your mind and be informed. Warthog Command Center out.